You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Welcome, everyone, to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. This is Al Melkier. I am your host for the next hour. And uh, today we're going to be talking with Jessica Kleinschmidt, also of FanRag, and talk a bit about a few pieces she's read recently, uh, go a little bit in-depth with the Arizona Diamondbacks, and uh, continue our review of some third basemen uh, that we've been writing about on FanRag this week. So uh, looking forward to all that. Thank you again for, uh, for tuning in. And uh, we'll get started with just a few of the uh, very recent news items. Uh, we'll get to some bigger ones from a few days back in a little bit. Uh, but first of all, Glenn Perkins, he needs more time to work on his arm strength. So he's likely going to begin the year on the DL. And that means uh, the Twins, they're going to go with Brandon Kinsler as their closer on opening day. Kinsler, of course, serving as the Twins closer for much of 2016. Homer Bailey had surgery to remove bone spurs from his right elbow, so he is expected to start the year on the DL. And uh, the Orioles acquired uh, Gabriel Yanoa from the Mets for cash considerations. So before we get on to some of the other news items, I'd uh, like to bring on Jessica Kleinschmidt. Jessica, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm fine as well. So, uh Good to have some company here. Looking forward to talking with you about some of your uh, recent work. But before we get into that, Jessica, um, I know that you are a big fan of baseball, so maybe it's just mere coincidence that you write for Fan Rag Sports, you write for Fan Graphs, and you've also written for Fan Duel, mm-hmm. right? I've, I think I've written for everywhere. <laughs> yeah, actually, if I you could just go ahead. Places. Think there's anything left there's nothing left Al. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was gonna ask you just go ahead and li- tell us who you don't write for right now and that would probably be um, probably yeah i think the only place i don't write for is like cosmopolitan magazine the rest is it's there <laughs> so i'm doing i'm doing everything um i'm also you know with a couple of fantasy sites heading into the season fan vice dfs and then like you mentioned fan graphs um, I was a FanDuel for almost uh, two years, which I really fell in love with DFS baseball that way. And then, um, like you mentioned, um, FanRag with you, which I've been, I've been having so much fun with that as well. And then MSN Sports as well, Sports Not Yard Barker. I'm kind of, like I said, we don't have enough time to name them all, but there's quite a few. Yeah. How's sleep going for you? I don't do that. Okay. Well, that, <laughs> that would make sense. Because uh, I don't know where else you'd find the time for all of that. But it's great to see you in all these different platforms. Great to see your work, Jessica. We'll, again, be getting into that a little bit later on in the show. But let's continue on with some of the news stories from the past few days. All of them uh, really involving first basemen. So a couple of fairly light signings here. Mike Napoli, as anticipated Mm -hmm. for several weeks, finally signing on with the Texas Rangers. So there's going to be a little bit of a domino effect there, I think, in Arlington, where it mm-hmm. appears that Jerks and Profar and Ryan Rua could be a left-field platoon. And I'm not sure where Joey Gallo winds up. So maybe we right. work backwards here. And uh, what do you see uh, for Joey Gallo in 2017? Any playing time? And if so, is he somebody worth drafting uh, and possibly stashing? Yeah, I mean, it's really hard for me to say no to a Joey Gallo just because of his raw power, and I love watching him play. 
like you mentioned, though, and you wrote a similar article with the Astros where it was the first base position was super crowded. And when I was watching that Josh Hamilton press conference and he mentions, you know, I've always wanted to play first base. And we're thinking, well, crap, poor Gallo. You know, and he's and Gallo's a natural third baseman. Obviously, that's not going to be a situation. We have a stellar third baseman like they do with the Rangers. But the cool thing about Gallo is, is he was kind of mentally preparing to play first base. You can bring the DH position in there. But either way, it's just a very crowded position. You mentioned Profar. There's Guzman too and then like we talked about Hamilton got re-signed and then Mike Napoli so there's like everybody and their mom playing first base and then Gallo's just kind of hanging out but he has enough minor league time where I think over 2,000 at bats in the minors where he should get a promotion so it could be a scenario where he could be a backup if Beltre's super you know tired or something like that I don't really know but I could really see him maybe being convinced to kind of change it up a little bit Trey Turner same situation he was an infielder but the Chiefs before they bumped him up, were saying, you know, you should really try and play the outfield if you want to get your promotion earlier. So maybe they can talk to him about doing that. It's really hard for me to say, you know, don't put him on any sort of fantasy team just because I love when he plays and he's a huge presence. And then, you know, I've actually witnessed him play in AAA and the guy is just great. Of course, that was PCL and everybody, Al, you and I could hit 230 in the PCL, let's be honest. (laughs) So it really depends on how you're looking at it that way. But Putting him on your team and stashing him away is not a bad idea whatsoever. Just really pay attention, obviously, to the news. I have no idea what the what the coaching staff would want to do with him, but I could see them trying to convince him to probably go more towards a different position just so he does get that major league promotion sooner rather than later. Yeah, I'm just not sure where the opportunity is for Gallup because every place is pretty much filled up. Like you said, first base is very crowded, but there's really no no obvious place unless Beltre were to get hurt something like that, right. or maybe a situation where jerks of Profar really doesn't take off and maybe Gallo gets an opportunity to play left field. Mm-hmm. I've got to say, personally, I would like to see the Rangers just give Ryan Rua the job. Uh, I'm really okay. sort of disappointed with these uh, reports that he could be the lesser half of a platoon with Profar. I think we've seen enough of Profar at the major league level. I know he was fantastic in the minors at a very young age, but... Mm-hmm. I'm just not sure that we're really going to see him blossom at the major league level. And I, I kind of like the skill set that Rua has. He can get on base. I think there's some pretty decent power there. And it's right. not like his righty-lefty splits you know, versus righty-lefty are really all that lopsided. So I don't know. You, mm-hmm. uh, you have a preference there for left field? I mean, for left field, I mean, I, I mean, I don't, I don't hate where you're going with it at all. Like the guy has a lot of power as well. I actually didn't really get to witness him that much when he was playing in AAA, so I didn't really get to a chance to work at his, look at his body work. But it's the same thing, right? I mean, I think he's more mentally prepared for that promotion. He's also mentally prepared to play in the outfield as opposed to somebody who's like, well, you know, I was really looking forward to playing in the infield or really looking forward to getting that DH job, and then here comes Hamilton and here comes Napoli and all this other stuff is, is going on. And I actually was waiting for the Gallo situation. Like, okay, well, he'll play, you know, he'll do the DH thing. And then all these, you know, of course, you know, the Rangers needed 17 first basemen. Why not? And, it, and it's three <laughs> DHs. So why not? Let's get crazy. But, you know, I really think Rua has, he's, he's just a freak athlete. The guy can really play. So I, I totally agree with you there. I think he has a better chance of getting his promotion than Gallo does, but it's just, it's hard for me to say that because, I mean, Gallo is just a, a horse when he plays. The guy has so much power. Unfortunately, it's, it's about, like you mentioned, when that opportunity does present itself. We don't hope that Beltre gets injured. He has a lot that he needs to accomplish this season, but you really never know. Yeah, and we'll talk a little bit about Beltre a little later on in the show. And with Gallo, of course, he's had some opportunities 
but he's just so all or nothing, so many strikeouts mm-hmm. that you, even if you see a path for him to play, it's not like you can just stash him and, and be pretty confident that he's going to take off once he gets the opportunity. And then Mike Napoli. Now, this is somebody even before he signed. I targeted him in some early mocks. I really like him. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you see yourself maybe waiting around for Napoli in the later rounds of a, of a standard mixed league draft or you have better uh, better places to go to fill your one uh, your first base slot. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to Napoli, don't get me wrong. I, I like watch. You know, he's not like a guy that I would, you know, text my if I'm if I'm in a league with somebody. You know, like the texting behind the scenes is like, dude, this is going to happen. I need for you to have my back. He's not a type of guy where I'd make like, some sort of crazy dis- decision over. Um, unfortunately, but he's a guy I would wait for. Right? He's not a a guy I'm going to go, you know, like come at you like an angry beaver and make sure like, don't come at Napoli. It's kind of one of those things. He's just not the type of guy where I get crazy over. He's kind of a guy that I'm worth kind of, Oh, let's wait around a little bit. Let's see what happens. So Napoli's always a question mark for me. I don't know if it's necessarily a guy that I could say, okay, if he's left over, sure. He's just one of those where it's always, I see. I can't even explain it to you. That's how rough it is. I don't even know. He's a big question mark for me. Yeah, he's less for me, which I, th- I wouldn't be surprised if I wind up with him in a few leagues because I really do buy into the narrative that for those couple of sort of down seasons that he had, that the sleep apnea was really affecting him. And then mm-hmm. he had the surgery, which is just a brutal procedure. And it right. took him probably a full year to really come back from that. So yeah. I think what we saw from Napoli and Cleveland, I think that's the real deal. I think he could be a, a tremendous bargain. But let's let's yeah. uh, touch on one or two of these other first base situations. The Yankees, they've gotten, I guess, what could look like insurance for Greg Bird or at the very least a mm-hmm. platoon partner for him and Chris Carter. And right. what do you think of that situation there? Do you think that Bird having the competition for playing time, that that hurts his value significantly? And, uh, well, let's just tackle that one first. Yeah, well, it was funny. I was I listened to an interview with Bird, and he was like so young baseball player about it. He was like, "I'm really excited for Carter to come, and I'm excited to meet him." And I'm like, "Dude, the guy's trying to take over your position, really." So I was like, "That's not even fun." Like, I really want to know what you're feeling. So I think when it came to that, I mean, don't get me wrong, I really expected Carter to go to an AL team if he did stay in the major league in major league baseball. Um, but I think it's honestly just more competition for Bird, but there was already a question of who was going to take that position before Carter got signed. So it was kind of like that. And then, you know, we have the DH position, but that was kind of what holiday that's kind of what we're expecting him to be at that DH position. But with Carter, you get the experience, but with that experience, you get a lot of strikeouts and it could be another platoon situation. Like you mentioned, bird was applauding the deal, but I'm not sure if that just worries him at all, but it was more or less, you know, you bring all these other guys into it. There's so many young kids, right? And I think Carter was more of a, maybe it's an easier decision for the Yankees to get him started at that first pace position. But I think it makes the job further away from bird's grasp. I don't think it's going to be totally taken away from him. I think it's just going to kind of light a fire underneath his butt. But when it comes to Carter, I think it was a safe sign for the Yankees. When it comes to a fantasy situation, it's I like Bird. Um, but at the same time, if you're thinking about your other young first base position guys, he's a top five. However, overall, it's really hard for me. But Carter comes in there and it kind of is a game changer. So it really depends on, you know, what you have left over. Um, but we kind of all are mentally preparing to deal with all these young bats, and these young guys when it came to the Yankees. And Bird's obviously not a bad player at all. But 
the Carter thing kind of makes it a little bit more interesting. Yeah, well, I think it's a situation that hurts everybody's fantasy value <laughs> because yeah. I probably bird the least. To be Nobody honest, wins. Yeah, his splits against lefties in the majors and minors haven't been that great. So I don't know that the platoon hurts him, but it, it certainly doesn't help him. And then Carter, mm-hmm. of course, you're looking at most likely a very diminished role for him. And then Tyler Austin, I feel bad for him because he was going to be in that mix. And now clearly right. he's got nowhere, maybe the outfield for Tyler Austin. But mm-hmm. I was sort of looking forward to him having a real chance to compete with Greg Bird. And just uh, one more situation here, the Twins They're also apparently trying to stockpile first baseman because Mm -hmm. they did DFA Byung-Ho Park, but he made it through waivers. So he's still in the situation there. Of course, they still have Joe Maurer. They still have Kenneth Vargas. And now apparently the Twins are also interested in Pedro Alvarez and some other first baseman like uh, Ryan Howard was the name that I saw. So I don't really love this for Byung-Ho Park. And I think he's the one out of all those players that, that may have the most upside. Right, which is kind of sad. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I think a lot of people have a little bit. I'm re- I've, I've noticed a lot of articles that have been written about the positives of Park, um, and I, I get where they're coming from, but I, I would honestly be shocked if there wasn't more push towards getting Pedro Alvarez. Um, and obviously when it came to all those leftover DHs and first basemen, there, were, there was a huge pool of them. And then when Snapley and Carter were signed, it, it kind of changed. But the Twins really do need a power bat to add to their roster before spring training. There's still a few big names out there, and you've mentioned them. But it's a, it's a neutral park for the most part. It's geared a little bit more towards, uh, towards the batters. And Pedro Alvarez obviously dominates against righties. So I could see if that a fit for him. Um, Park was pretty inconsistent last season and he battled that injury. And I really think that injury bothered him more than, than was kind of spotlighted. Um, so I could, but I could really see Alvarez there. And then you mentioned this other name. I mean, it's, it's just, it's a difficult situation, but I'm surprised. I mean, obviously it was just today that Heyman reported that I did. I'm surprised there's not more of a, an aggressive push towards getting Alvarez, but there's so many other names out there. I think that's why it's not as intense, but I think it'd be a great match for him. I think so, too. A lot of first basemen, but certainly nobody that presents a huge obstacle, Jessica. So we're going to take a quick little break right now. We'll come back and uh, shift to a couple players that you've written about recently, see what you have to say about them. So we'll be back in just a few. Welcome back to Fan Rag Fantasy Baseball. This is Alan Melfiore, and I am joined today by Jessica Kleinschmidt, one of my fellow Fan Rag analysts. And we're going to go a little bit more in depth, talk about a couple of players that uh, Jess has written about recently. Now, Jess, at Fan Rag, there's an ongoing series, 25 at 25. So the top 25 players mm-hmm. that we as the staff ranked uh, players uh, who have not yet uh, passed the 25-year-old threshold. So you recently wrote on Christian Yelich. And what do you see for him uh, this fantasy season, maybe using last season as a a backdrop, whether or not you think maybe he can maintain some of the gains he made, go beyond them? Uh, I have a sense from your column which way you're going to go on this, but I'm just interested to hear uh, more in depth what you think of Yelich for this year. Well, first of all, if you ever want to feel old, participate in the 25 at 25 scenario we have going on at FanRag Sports. Like, I'm not much older, but I've never felt so old in my life. I thought these guys were, like, older than me. And then you're like, 
how is this guy on this list? But, you know, that's either here or there. Um, one of my favorite, actually, I'm glad they wanted, they actually gave this to me. They said, hey, I really want you to write about Christian Yelich. And I was happy to do so because he's one of my favorites as far as an underrated player. Miami doesn't think he's underrated. They just signed him for this huge deal. So they don't really feel that way. Um, he's a very quiet guy. So he's not like a showboat, anything like that. So from a fantasy perspective, I really like him. I actually really noticed him a couple years back when I was um, writing for FanDuel. And he was always very cheap as far as the DFS play goes, but he was always putting up numbers. That's when I kind of, he really stood out to me. Um, I can really see him having a really successful season this time around. And you have to remember, this guy's in the shadow of John Carlos Stanton, and people are automatically going to go towards him. Um, but like I mentioned, he, um, he's, nothing, he's not doing anything crazy over the offseason. Um, in last season, he definitely you know went for a, a batting a 298. Um, and 98 RBIs, uh, 21 home runs. And he, if you look at his body structure, he's not a huge guy, you know, and he's um, on a fan graph steamer. He's pr- um, he expected to have a pretty similar slash line like he was last season. That was pretty phenomenal um, in that aspect. So they're not expecting him to hit a ton of home runs once again, but I think they usually do that for steamer, giving them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, so he has above average power. He does hit for average. Um, and he also, you know, from a defensive point of view, does really well also. So I, I am hoping he's still underrated because he's always one of my guys that I kind of like I pretend like I don't know much about even though in the back of my mind I'm jumping like a crazy schoolgirl. he's my favorite um so he's definitely a guy that I'm excited to watch with this season but there are a lot of people that do know about it especially the guys who are the guys and the girls who are hardcore baseball people as far as the fantasy aspect goes so I really think this is a season where he can continue what he's doing or he won't is that really good analyzing or what? He's either going to be really good or he's not. So that's. I think I'm there's at. a good chance you'll be right about that. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. I think you're right. I'm really good, Al. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for joining our show. No, uh, <laughs> I think we could talk a little bit more yeah. about Yelich. And it, you know, just on a personal side note, you talked about his his you know physical stature. Uh, and you watch mm-hmm. on TV and looks like he could still, you know, be maybe playing high school or college ball. Very young looking guy. Right. He actually just right. barely. He's very, he's, he's very young looking. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's kind of, and he's just squeaking in in that 25 to 25 uh, criteria. But um, I, I uh, did some uh, interviews at Marlins Spring Training a couple years back. And this was uh, when I was with CBS and we were doing some videos there uh, for fantasy. And we did uh, one segment from the Marlins dugout while I think they were do, uh, taking batting practice. So the dugout was empty. And I think we were making predictions for the, like, the division winners and you know, who our, our playoff and World Series picks were. And we were doing this all from the Marlins dugout. And we ran a little long. And Christian Yelich was just standing there at the bottom of the dugout steps. And, and the thought bubble to me looked like he was saying, get out of my dugout. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. ever since he, I then, I... Like, he has that look about him. Like, yeah. He's very quiet from what I hear. Like he's not like a, a clubhouse leader at all, but he just has that look like how the girls have RBF. I think he has like his own kind of RBF kind of situation going on. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have made that connection, connected those dots, but yeah, that expression <laughs> that I got from Christian Yelich, I, I think that that's about it. <laughs> so yeah, I don't look at it the same way now, but I certainly have uh, like you uh, incredible respect for the skill set. Now, I don't think it's possible really to talk about Christian Yelich without talking about that power burst last season, because this is somebody who 
probably the first couple of seasons was a bit frustration, frustrating to fantasy owners, particularly people who looked at the batted ball data and saw on the one hand that Yelich mm-hmm. was one of the more extreme ground ball hitters in the majors. But when he did launch one, he had one of the highest average fly ball distances in the major leagues. So you, you look at that power potential, think, boy, this guy could hit 20 someday. And then, of course, in 2016, he hit 21. And I do think mm-hmm. there's a bit of risk built in to drafting Yelich because there's a big difference between somebody who might hit nine or 10 homers and somebody who's going to be right around 20. And he's still, he's a little bit less of a ground ball hitter than he was in his first uh, two plus seasons, got under the 60% mark last year for the first time. But uh, yeah, I, I just worry that the body of work, even though he's a young player and this fits the pattern of somebody who's building his building on his skill set, that I, right. I could possibly see some regression here. For Yelich. So is that something that would worry you at all on draft day? Oh, absolutely. I feel like it's always something that you have to worry about when it comes to the hangover aspect, right? Whether it's a guy that just came off the Cy Young award winning year or a guy who had his quote breakout year. It's always something you got to kind of worry about. The regression is real. It always happens. Um, with him, like you did mention, he did have that power burst. So people are automatically going to think, well, that could go either, you know, one or two ways, but you know, it really depends on how you're looking at it. However, he, to me is still very much like a top, I would say a top 10 power hitting outfielder for me. Um, so it's really difficult for me to, you know, go against it. And obviously if you read my article, I'm very pro Christian Yelich, so it's hard for me to say. Um, but I think he's going to continue to do well in 2017 fantasy, fantasy wise. He's, he's up there, but there's, it could either go one or two ways, either the regression is going to continue uh, or the regression is going to happen or he, he's mm-hmm. going to continue doing well. Now looking at some ADP data from NFBC drafts, He is in a virtual tie. He's 14th among outfielders, 13th, just a Mm -hmm. fraction of a a, a place uh, in the draft order ahead of him is Ian Desmond. Mm -hmm. So either or, okay, you're you're picking, let's say your number two outfielder, because I think uh, unless in a deep league, this is probably what you're looking at for Yelich. You're going to take Desmond or Yelich if they're both available? How dare you? Um, (laughs) Probably... Probably Desmond because of where he's playing now. I think that's just the easier play to call. I'm just going to go with that. Yeah, and I, I agree. I would yeah. take Desmond too. Yeah. Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'm so actually surprised they're so close in the uh, ADP. I am rankings. too. I am too. Yeah. I am too. That's surprising to me. Lots of surprises there. That's what makes this fun. Yeah. Let's uh, yes. move over to Jake Lamb, somebody you also wrote about recently, and some pretty interesting analysis in. In your write-up, you talked about Lamb splits, and I guess if you're a fantasy mm-hmm. owner considering drafting Jake Lamb, that is probably the thing. Just like with Yelich, the thing is, is he going to maintain 20 homer power? With Jake Lamb, it, it's, well, you point out two splits, uh, mm-hmm. the poor splits against lefties and the lesser splits that he has on the road. First of all, which ones worry, worry you more, the home road or the righty-lefty? Probably the righty-lefty only because, I mean, he's playing at Chase Field, and every guy I've ever talked to who plays there loves hitting there. And I think if you look at it's a, it's a hitter's park. It just is what it is. And I think that's kind of what it, um, what, what it boils down to. So when it comes to somebody like playing at Chase Field, playing at Coors on the road, obviously their numbers are going to dwindle a little bit. If you look at Edwin and Carnassian splits now, now that he's away from Rogers Center, his projections are going to be dropping a little bit. And they do bring that ballpark factor into it quite a bit. 
Um, so I think I'm a little bit more, I guess I'm less worried about him going on the road. I wasn't that surprised to see how bad those splits were. Um, so when it comes to lefty righty, I don't think I'm that worried about it. I think um, it was just because of the, the chase field aspect. It's his home field. We know how it is as far as playing there and stuff like that. So I think I was a little bit more like, oh, okay, that's what's going on with your lefty righties. I think that's what worried me a little bit more. Yeah, I really don't worry about the home road for him at all. And yeah, Chase Field, that Mm -hmm. shouldn't be a shock if any Diamondback does better, particularly power-wise, to Chase Field. Right. But the the lefty-righty thing does worry me because there's a... Whereas with the home road splits, the road splits were lesser, but they weren't really bad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But the lefty-righty splits, there's... They're really... He just doesn't hit for much power against lefties. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's something that Lamb can overcome. But I have to admit that that's something that is going to make me very hesitant to draft Lamb because also something that you you touched upon in the article is that there's enough infield depth there, particularly with Brandon Drury, that Lamb could lose playing time. And if you are relying on him uh, week in, week out, I think there's going to be certain weeks where he may be facing uh, two or three lefties or or possibly more, and it, it could really hurt his numbers. Yeah, and and when it came, I need to stop calling him Jake Lame, which if you type it enough, everything on your computer will say, did you mean to write Jake Lame? Like, how how do I explain this to him? How do I explain this to my editors, you know? And I actually told Jake that. I'm like, I'm really sorry if this ever pops up. It's because I don't know how to type, apparently. Um, But when it comes to him, yeah, there's the infield aspect as well. And and people were so excited about him when it came around the All-Star break last season because, of course, I mean, that was social media that helped a lot. And, you know, he definitely had, you know, some solid numbers for All-Star caliber type of stuff. But ultimately, when you have to depend on social media that means it's not all about your talent so that's kind of where that is um but yeah we have Brandon Drury in the, in the situation too and he kind of or when it came to Lamb he kind of regressed after the all-star break and that kind of where it came down and when you do look at the lefty righty splits he also didn't have a lot of you know he didn't go up against a lot of lefties but it was it's really bad it's if you almost take his righties and put it in half that's almost what it looks like and so as far as you know some of his numbers go so it's definitely something that you have to pay attention to and i agree so you have to really see where where he's going to be at he's definitely not a guy where i'm going to be super pumped for but at the same time i was trying to give him the benefit of the doubt when i did write this article and you know if you're playing in the nl west the diamondbacks don't have a lot of pressure on them this season i think they're kind of like eh, let's just go out there and have some fun we know who we're going up against this season so it is kind of you know that scenario um, not a, a guy that i'm super excited about but i'm really interested to see if he can kind of come back down to earth after having a very yo-yo type of 2016. Well, I know, Jess, that you're just getting warmed up here with your Diamondbacks talk. In, in fact, to quote you directly, this is your jam, <laughs> talking about the Diamondbacks. So when we come it back from break, jam. yeah, so when we come back from break, uh, we're going to jam on a little bit more with the Diamondbacks. Welcome back to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. This is Al Melchior. I'm here today with Jessica Kleinschmidt, also a FanRag. And before the break, we were starting to talk about the Diamondbacks a little bit, Jake Lamb in particular. But, uh, you know, they've got a whole 25-man roster we could talk about. Probably not the whole roster, but uh, we'll uh, touch on a few players here. But We want uh, this just to be an entertaining show. Let's not talk about all of them. All right. So, you know, no uh, Jeff Mathis talk, perhaps? 
No, no. Let's, let's, All right. let's we'll, not make uh, people cry. We'll, we'll pick and choose. <laughs> but I did, before we talk about the particular players, um, I'm sort of interested in why this team is, is your team, uh, you know, the team that you really focus on the most. Now, does that have to do – you're in, you're in Reno, Nevada, correct? I am. And it's Nevada, Al. Nevada. Yeah, that's what I meant, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny because we just, um, the, the Aces just hired Jerry Naren as their, as their manager. And the first thing when, uh, the PR guy picked up Jerry from the airport, he was like, okay, I don't mean to be rude. I know you know your stuff, uh, but you have to make sure you pronounce Nevada correctly or the, the Nevadans will eat you alive. And I even told Tony LaRussa a couple weeks ago, I'm like, you have like the Nevada pronunciation done, right? Which was probably stupid. He kind of looked at me like, that's your first question. <laughs> so, I, yeah, that's what I do. I ask the I ask the un, unimportant questions to three times World Series champions. So that's what I'm doing with my life. <laughs> well, I got Reno yeah, right, I, so I get you partial credit. Yeah, you're, you're one for two. You're batting five. You're you're doing great. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I live in Reno, and um, I got it. Just got really easy as far as covering them because they're down the street, and the Aces kind of adopted me as like their their baseball girl to you know write about them and write for all the various outlets and it was really cool and I really suggest people going out and looking at their minor league ballparks you get to see so many gems and you don't, you're lucky because you don't have to interview them when I got to interview Shelby Miller after he got a demotion he wasn't in the best mood and most of the time they're not but I got to see a lot of cool gems like Tim Lincecum was here Hunter Pence and um, a bunch of other guys were here on a rehab assignment got to see AJ Pollock which was just great to watch Archie Bradley of course all of those guys so you don't have to spend a lot of money to see the future of MLB or the past, if you will. Um, so it, it was a really good experience. And that's kind of where I started adopting the, the Arizona Diamondbacks as one of my teams. Yeah. When I saw you tweet something the other day about how bad things happen when you go to a Reno Aces game and Ooh, I'm very curious yeah. about that, but, but I'm also on the verge of ruining what, what could have been a beautiful segue because you, meant, you mentioned AJ Pollock <laughs> and uh, I do want to talk about him. Maybe later on uh, you can tell us, uh, the worst thing that happened uh, to, Happily. to the Aces when, when you showed up. Uh, you got it. But uh, AJ Pollock, after uh, missing almost the, the entire year, uh, he is still a third rounder in the early ADP data, mm-hmm. although just, just barely uh, ADP of 35. So how does that strike you? Could you see if you've got that uh, late third round pick, are you ready to take the, take the flyer in AJ Pollock? Yeah, and I mean, I'm I'm a little bit biased. I did watch him play, and the guy is just so much so much fun to watch. I, I'm actually thinking that's a fair ADP. I am also a little bit surprised it's that high. But if you look across like certain you know those websites that give like the overall from there's a lot of people that have him as a 44 or, or around that number. So it really depends on how you want to look at it. I felt like I was given such a beautiful gift being able to watch him play. And if you look at his AA and AAA numbers as he was coming up from his rehab assignment, he was just great to watch and just a really nice guy too. So he you know. It, it was kind of bad though. The moment he gets promoted, he gets another injury. So it just kind of reminds me of Steven Vogt a couple seasons back where you can kind of get a lot of production out of a guy without spending a lot of money. And I think that's what his mentality could, his situation could be this time around. Um, I don't think he's going to have a lot of spotlight on him. The only spotlight that will be a lot of people might be worried because he is constantly bitten with that injury bug. Um, so that ADP for me, I'm comfortable with, but in regards to if somebody were to ask me like, Hey, should I be worried about these injuries? The only reason why I would say yes is because how frequent they are. And that kind of, that, that 
annoys me because I really want to see him become the 2015 All-Star that he was once again. And um, especially with this team, you know, they're really, really trying. They're giving it their college try, if you will. <laughs> so um, it's going to be interesting to see what he does. But I think that's a very fair ADP. If anything, I think that I was surprised he was that high. Well, I think the ADP is fine. And of course, every league has its own flavor and people have their own biases. Right. So in a league where outfielders go faster than I'm sure Pollock would come off the board earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that, that that could happen in a lot of leagues because outfield, there's really quite a drop off after uh, just the top uh, five or six. And then you're dealing with players who, like Pollock, uh, have some injury history or players that maybe haven't completely proven themselves or inconsistent. So there's really a lot of risk very, very early. I mean, Bryce Harper is sort of the embodiment of risk, and and he's a first-rounder, and I think rightfully so. But Pollock, uh, let's do another ADP comparison. Pollock's uh, clocking in at 35. Giancarlo Stanton just behind him at 39. Also somebody with an injury history. Yeah. Who you got? Um... I would probably, oh gosh, why do you give me all these difficult questions? I'm going to say, I'm going to say John Carlos Stanton. And the reason why is because I feel like, I feel like his power production is obviously there. And I feel like this is comeback year. He does have a lot of injuries. We know that. No, you know, can I, can I take that back? I think I'm going to say AJ Pollock. Cause I can't, I can't convince myself to go with, with John Carlos Stan. I actually like Pollock. I think like you mentioned, he's going to get off the board quite quickly. Um, he's just, he's a low key guy. He's not going to go out there and everybody's going to have the attention on John Carlos Stanton. And when it comes to AJ Pollock, I can definitely see him putting up some, some solid numbers and it's not going to, depending on what your format is, he's not going to set you back a lot of money. And with John Carlos Stanton, you're going to be paying a lot, but you're probably not going to be getting a lot of bang for your buck. So I think I'm going to go with Pollock. I talked myself in and out of that in four seconds. So that was kind of great. Okay. Is that, is that final then? No. No, I'm a woman. I don't ever. I, I'm a woman. I'm awful at making decisions. Let's be honest. Well, before you change your it, mind, I'm going to so. disagree with you. I'm going to take Stanton. Uh, Pollock does give you the more well-rounded uh, fantasy stats, but I just I do worry about Pollock coming back from these injuries. And right. Stanton, we've seen him come back from injury time and time again. Now he has these brutal slumps, these brutal protracted mm-hmm. slumps, but the power is almost always there for Stanton and and it's whether he's coming off of injury or not. So they're both risky picks. I just feel like the risk is a little bit less with Stanton, but yeah, if you want uh, more steals and higher batting average, then, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Pollock would make more sense. So let's, I mean, I feel like it's it's whoever sucks, whoever sucks less out of the, the, the both is what the mentality that we have right now. I guess so. The very, very optimistic of us. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> Let's lower the stakes a little bit. Talk about a couple of late rounders that are likely to be in the Dimebacks lineup. Another uh, player coming back from injury, um, David Peralta. And his is a little bit disturbing to me because it was a wrist injury. And mm-hmm. so anything involving the hands, I, I really like to see whether or not the player has come back uh, before I feel like there's trustworthiness, but you're not going to have to give up a lot. There's not a ton of risk with Peralta because he is going late, as is Brandon Drury, who we talked about in the last segment, and he's very versatile, so he could certainly see time at different positions, but he would appear to be the front runner to get the most time at second base, which 
really helps with fantasy value because you figure that uh, instead of just being a super utility player, that Drury is right. going to get his at bat. So of the two, who are you more likely to be stashing in your queue for those final rounds? I would probably go more towards Brandon Drury. And I hate saying his name because no matter who says it, you sound drunk. It doesn't matter what you say. And I knew that because I sat next to the announcer when he was playing with the Aces and I just was dying. I was laughing so hard because that was the inside joke in the press box. But I really like um, Drury. I mean, obviously he wasn't like a guy who was going to come right off the bat and be a, you know, a, a go-ahead guy starting the opening day in the few first few couple months. But the reason why is because, you know, he actually started improving when it came to uh, right-handed pitching last season. And especially when 2015, he really struggled just against righties, but he was doing great against lefties. So I kind of like how he's improving against righties and, but he's dominating against lefties. So he's going to be a little bit diverse for any type of lineup that you may have. So that's kind of why I'm going more towards Drury as a stash play. Don't get me wrong. I do like David Peralta, but you did mention that injury, which kind of worries me, especially that particular injury. Um, Peralta has a wonderful story. I really love his story about, you know, starting from the bottom. Now we hear kind of deal. Um, but he's always, he's always somebody that people like to think about, but between the two, I'd probably go more towards, um, Drury, and I think he's going to have a little bit more playing time at that second base position this time around. Yeah, well, I do like the power upside of Peralta just a little bit better, although I think they both have some power potential. I think it really depends. If I draft Aaron Judge first, I want to take Brandon mm-hmm. Drury so I can name my team Judge and Drury. But uh, I like it. that, I like it. Thank you. Thank you. You don't have to Proud say you. that, you know. <laughs> of course. Of course. Otherwise, I'd probably take the gamble on Peralta because, again, it's a late-round pick, and if it doesn't pan out, I could probably replace him with somebody of similar value. Mm-hmm. Now, somebody I was hoping to target as a late-rounder, and then uh, the Dimebacks sort of messed this up for me, was Chris Herman because he had, I thought, a really interesting 2016 season. Not mm-hmm. a ton of at-bats, but when he did play, he really showed a different level of power hitting than we had seen from Herman. And a catcher, if you have something like that that allows you to stand out, it it can matter, at least in the two-catcher league. I don't think Herman was going to be somebody, even with playing time, I would draft as a number one catcher. But do right. you think – now, let me actually just put a little context here. The competition will be Chris Iannetta, and it, it would appear right. that Iannetta will start as the primary catcher. That was the same situation last year in Seattle, and then eventually mm-hmm. – a power hitting catcher by the name of Mike Zanino grabbed the playing time from Ionetta. Do you think there could be a similar scenario in Arizona? Yeah. And I mean, like the inside joke is how many more catchers is Arizona going to put on their team, you know, kind of deal. And I, because there's just so many, there's just a lot of competition. And I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, guys like Chris Ionetta or Josh Stoll, like any of these guys are going to take that away from him. But at the same time, you know, there is a lot, it's, it's a little bit crowded back there, but I, I do agree with you. He didn't play he, like 50 something games last year. And so he didn't play in a lot of games, but he, you know, he held his own. You're not going to be expecting like a 301 batting average from a catcher or anything like that, but he got some bombs in there, a lot of hits, in those in those 56 games he did really well as far as that goes so I think that's going to stay in the front of people's minds but at the same time it really depends on the injury aspect Um, and like you mentioned we really don't know what the scenario is about who's going to get injured or anything like that really bummed that they let go of Wellington Castillo and they let go of a lot of these guys that I really fell in love with last season but you know 
they don't ask for my opinion in the front office, do they? Um, so he should be really well as far as um, a platoon kind of guy. Um, and I really think that he could do really well um, at Chase. Um, I, I didn't really pay attention to his off-the-road splits. But like I said, there was only a few games that you really could go by. Um, I think he's going to, in like a two-catcher type of format, I could see him being a really good C2 um, and going with that aspect. But beyond that, it's really depending on how you want to look at it. I really don't know how they're going to do the starting jobs and everything like that. And he didn't play in a lot of games, so those could worry me. Um, But beyond that, he's really a solid, um, I guess, second kind of guy for me. Okay. Well, real quick, we have to go to break in just a a moment here, but uh, we haven't talked about pitching at all. Your favorite non-Zach Greinke fantasy starting pitcher, who is it on the Diamondbacks? Uh, non-fantasy? No, no. For fantasy, non-Zach Greinke. Oh, oh non-Zach. Probably Robbie Ray. Okay, so you think he'll uh, – I mean, the strikeouts are really enticing, and you think that he'll uh, lay off on the hard contact a bit and solve some of the control issues, and or is it just kind of the – the lesser of, of four other evils. If you, I mean, when you, when you present it like that, Al, I mean, <laughs> no, I really think that he had a really solid few, few outings last season. And it's a difficult question. Yeah. The non Zach Greinke is for me going to go towards Robbie Ray. I think he's going to, he knows what he did well last season. He really did. And of course I was only watching it from a DFS perspective for the most part, but he did have really some solid outings. So I really think he can do something pretty phenomenal this time around from a season long perspective. It's difficult for me. Um, but I think he's one of my, one of my top guys on that, on that rotation for sure. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure you have a lot of company there. Very, very enticing 2016 season from Robbie Ray. So we're going to head to break and come back and talk about some third baseman. We'll be right back. Welcome back to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. This is Al Melchior. I'm here with Justin Feinschmidt. And we're going to talk about some third baseman in just a bit uh, because this week on FanRag, we are we have moved uh, to that uh, part of the diamond for our fantasy guy, taking one position at a time. And we're going to do a little segment, Jessica, that I like to call, What Happened With These Guys? And, <laughs> you know, I, I like transparency in my segment titles. Nothing fancy here. Right. These are some players who looked had a very different look last year than the year before. And I think it's mm-hmm. very interesting how we spin narratives about these players and then those narratives shape our uh, approaches on draft day. So I'm not sure if we're going to get to everybody here, but uh, we'll uh, try to get to at least a couple of these guys. So what happened with Adrian Beltre last year? Went from 18 home runs in 2015 to 32 last year when he was supposed to be on the slippery slope of age-related decline. Is it easy to just say he started taking steroids? Oh, it would be easier. It wouldn't necessarily be accurate. Right. <laughs> True. He did not. I, I was like, obviously, it's fine. No, so it, it could be any number of things. I feel like with the AL West, it's really – it's really give or take as far as the the division itself. I mean, I was raised an A's fan, so I spend most of my time just being depressed. So um, I think it, and it could have, it's just a power boost that happens. His batting average reached uh, over 300 um, for the fourth time in the last like five years. So something happened. Um, I think he was, he wasn't really obviously showing any sort of signs of decline, but there was, um, you know, I don't really know. 
it, it could have just been like the attention was away from him. And then all of a sudden he kind of just got fed up with it and coming back from the second half or coming back off the second half, he just kind of went out there and dominated. So um, his fly ball rate kind of, I don't know if it increased or decreased. I can't remember. I don't know if that would make a difference, but um, I think he doesn't, he typically have a second half power boost. I don't know if that did anything not that I'm aware kind of, of deal. Um, uh, maybe I'm just say he doesn't. Right. And, and if he does, that's something I'm always really skeptical of. I mean, there has to be a really strong pattern there to think that, well, this is somebody who just really thrives more in one particular part of the year. But you did ask, uh, the fly ball ratio did go up quite a bit for Beltre last season. Mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. Uh, just shy of 36% where it had been uh, for the last couple of seasons. And then last year went up to 42.1%, uh, which was his highest rate in five years. Yeah. So. Yeah. So he's obviously putting, and he's he's on his way to joining the the a very prestigious home run club this season. So that'll be really really fun to watch. Well, will be, and I would anticipate that he'll you know he'll get there, and uh, that he's going to be probably nearly as good. And I I think that that's not necessarily going to be a popular opinion. He had a thumb injury a couple of years ago that I think really hurt him, and Beltre's been pretty steady in terms of. The strikeout rate, the hard contact rate. Yeah, there has been a little bit of batted ball fluctuation, fly ball versus ground ball, but nothing radical. I think mm-hmm. this is somebody who just is perennially underrated because he's on the, the wrong side of the age curve, but uh, the skills right. I think are still there. So, well, I what agree. Do you think... I agree. Okay. Well, so let's go somebody younger now. What do you think happened with Kyle Seeger, who had his own more modest power outburst? But the isolated power did go up from 185 to 221 in one year. So for somebody who, if you asked me to do word association with Kyle Seeger before last year, I would have said steady. Same numbers pretty much year in, year out. He did take it up a step last year. So what happened? Yeah, I agree. He's usually a stable guy. And obviously when, when somebody says Seager, we're going to automatically go towards Corey, but his, um, his home run total and, and his fly ball uh, rate did go up. And that was something definitely to pay attention to. Um, and I think it's just, you know, something that kind of happens, like you mentioned, he's just a guy that we're not really surprised by, right? He's going to stay consistent, which from a fantasy perspective, I guess you, it, it could go be a positive, could be a negative thing, especially if you're, if he's a safe option for you, but then last season, all of a sudden he's doing all these great things. So you're looking like the, the king of the the crowd. So that's always something great. Um, but he kind of took over his position and really dominated. Um, and he, he's not really a guy that he has, he's got a contact rate, but he's not really a guy that's going to hit a lot of balls in the air. So when that did increase, that could have been a situation too. Maybe he was just hitting the ball in a different position, but whatever it did, it obviously worked for him. All right. Well, and let's just do one more player who not only had some changes from, uh, 2015 to 2016, but changes within 2016, Travis Shaw, who right. had a surprisingly robust debut with the Red Sox and then seemed to back it up in the first half last year and then had a 619 OPS after the All-Star break last year. Now uh, a very different uh, situation with the Brewers, uh, a different kind of ballpark that's going to be less friendly to doubles, but a lot more friendly to home mm-hmm. runs for Travis Shaw. Let me switch up the question, though. Rather than what happened to him, what do you expect from Travis Shaw this year? I think he's going to do really, really well at that ballpark. And, and 
And it's not the type of ballpark where it's like, you know, Coors is going to do exceptionally well, especially with the Brewers. I mean, what do you expect from them, right? Um, so it's like you mentioned, it was more of an in, in-between kind of deal. And I think he just needed that rest towards um, the All-Star break. Um, but it was very, very impressive. And he also was pretty impressive towards the end of 2015. So he was still on some people's fantasy radars, but it wasn't anything, you know, too crazy. So he was just hitting um, – he he's not really a home run hitter, so it could be where he really – shows his home run hitting ability at this park maybe it'll help a little bit I'm not really sure but I think the change in scenery is just going to really help him and show off his actual skills that way it's not like okay was that a fluke and you know how these ball players they got to deal with it every anytime a trade happens or you get elsewhere um, it would be interesting to see what he does and it's very you know like we mentioned a hitter friendly environment um, it's a great team to be a part of with what they're doing now so I really think he's going to continue doing well and probably do even better with this with this team yeah well I agree the Brewers are going to be a fascinating team this year I really think the lineup mm-hmm. is going to be underrated so I think Shaw could also not, not benefit more than the Red Sox because that's a great lineup, obviously, but maybe not lose not lose as much run producing potential as as one might think. So, right. uh, well, Jess, we're uh, closing out the show here uh, shortly. So, uh, I do want to hear what is the worst thing that happened to the Reno Aces when you showed up to the park. Okay, so I don't remember my. I think I went to maybe 20 games last year and um, my record, I believe is three and 17 uh, when I show up. So that was fun. It got so bad that pitchers were messaging me on Twitter saying, I knew you were there today. That's why I threw so bad. And, um, and it was just like, people just knew, and I don't know what it was. I think, and then I only went, I only went to one game like to watch and I think they were playing the Cubs and the team, the aces just got blown out so every time I'm there it's really bad but there's a couple games where Peter O'Brien would hit like multiple like two home runs during the game so I had that going for me but I was really bad and even they made it to the playoffs and they like begged me to stay home but I actually had to work so I couldn't stay home so I have a very dark shadow around that well Jess on on that uh Really happy note for you and the Reno Aces. Uh, we, we've got to say goodbye here. So, Jess, thank, thanks so much for uh, joining me today. Uh, thank you all uh, for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. Got some good information. Also, thanks to uh, Frank Stample, uh, our producer today. And uh, we will be back on Sunday. Uh, so look for us uh, then. And uh, have a good day. And good luck on the draft board.